0: Everyone, welcome back to Gray Matters. This is Charmaine.
1: Hi, this is Ricky, and this is a very special part two of our two-part episode with Dr. Brown, Dr. Kathy Brown, and Dr. Lauren Cross of UNT. If you haven't listened to part one, we released that last week. So just go back in an episode, and that's part one. But this is part two of our discussion of Afrofuturism and an array of many other topics, but Please stay tuned and hope you enjoy. Yeah, I'm so glad that you you oh there's so much I want to say. Wow, okay, I feel like we could we could sit here for a whole movie I uh, not a whole movie, a whole movie movie long episode because I have so much to, to think about. Um, I guess I'll start with Black Panther. Let me first say uh, uh, Cavok Boseman. I don't, yes. know how, I don't know how they're going to make a Black Panther 2 yeah. without T'Challa. Hard. Like I, okay, that's a whole story. I'll get into that later. Yeah. Y'all don't need to hear that. But I love Black Panther. Yeah. I was a person doing this to everybody. I showed <laughs> yes. up to the theater. Like yes. I, I was very invested because for me, this was the first time um, seeing you know, seeing, of course, a majority black cast in a Marvel movie um, it, it, and seeing it in a light to where um, and we talked about this a lot on our podcast, um, the depictions of Africa first of all Africa is 54 countries exactly. and, and people right. like to just group it together no it's 54 countries it's thousands of tribes thousands of languages mm-hmm. very culturally um, just it's immersed in culture really that this continent but the the pictures that you get is um, like feed the children and and, and this this wow. very this very binary view. And for a lot of people that I meet who are from different African cultures, they enjoyed Black Panther too. Like I have friends who saw it back home in, in, their, in their country, in Kenya, and in these different countries, they're, sending, they're showing me pictures of their family members seeing it there too. And I, I don't know for me, it was so powerful that this film connected out now me being sentimental, emotional, I feel like connected <laughs> us with our brothers and sisters and family, you know, across the across this um, ocean in a different continent, because yeah. we're all seeing this happen. We, we're all seeing this shift. And I feel like the black community. Um, the African community, all of us really needed that. And I think it was, um, I mean, I was watching it, I was like, hold up, wait a minute, (laughs) they're calling out colonizers. I mean, I can go out in the street and be like, hey, colonizer, what's up? I don't think that's gonna go very too well. Um, (laughs) But I just think it's it's powerful. Um, I also like that you mentioned um, about activism and how everyone's activism looks differently because that's something that we talk about on this, um, on this show too, is that not everyone's activism is gonna be the same, you know? Yeah. Not everyone has the mental capacity to go out in the streets, you know? Some people's activism looks in a way of just talking to your family members, gaining more knowledge mm-hmm. yourself, you know, donating not just monetarily, but your time, your resources, and et cetera. And I think that that's a powerful statement um, too, because I think we need to dismantle these binary views that we have in activism as well as Afrofuturism because Afrofuturism arts and acts in itself could be your form of activism. The creation Absolutely. of this art, of, of this film, of this movie, whatever, could be activism too. And I think that that, that is a much needed conversation. I could go all into genealogy. I mean, I have really been trying to connect myself and root myself and ground myself. Um, I haven't done the DNA thing yet. We've talked about <laughs> that before. I'm still scared and nervous, but I will do that soon. <laughs> I will give the government my DNA for pay them to tell it's me so where funny. they stole me from, but it's okay. Um, but yeah, I'm I think convinced that now
2: that uh, DNA testing is Afrofuturist too. Because now I'm having to reimagine my African identity through the lens of all these layers of ethnicity, you know, you know, all this missing stuff, you know, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing, you know, to, to process yourself in that way. Like, you know, look at yourself in the mirror, then look at the DNA and be like, okay, well, this this all is very illuminating, you know. So, I would I would still do it, Ricky. <laughs> I'm, See, I'm I haven't do done it. it
3: either. I haven't done the DNA either. I don't know. That makes me nervous too. I need to get over it. But I did do, you know, Ancestry.com, which we talked a little bit about last time. Mm-hmm. And I feel like
2: I scared y'all into it. <laughs> I, just,
3: I feel like I scared y'all. I, you know, <laughs> I've, des- I've decided for myself that my people are from Sierra Leone, you know. So I, <laughs> I, I love it. Self-proclaimed. I, I self-proclaimed Sierra Leonean because as I was doing my, like I said, my genealogy, my grandfather's Gullah Geechee and the Gullah Geechee mm-hmm. through my research are primarily from Angola and Sierra Leone where people cultivated rice. So along the low country, uh, you know, Georgia, South Carolina, North Carolina, Florida, uh, the, the enslaved people were cultivating rice and the Gullah Geechee were, were rice cultivators. So that's why I just figured, I figured that's where we're from, but you know, I don't know that to be true. But uh, when I did the, you know, ancestry.com and you guys, and you guys, I think have all done it. And you know how you, it, it requires a lot of research. You have to put on your researcher cap, you know, to cut, you know, how to click the leaf and then you go to something else. And then you have to, I had to cross reference with other websites. So it was quite a process, but I was able to go back six generations maternally on my mom's side to Mm -hmm. her sixth great grandmother who was, would have been enslaved along the Mississippi Delta. And uh, and we found her name, and she was living with her daughters when Black people were first on the U.S. Census, which was 1870. And mm-hmm. you know, because you, when you go on, when you do ancestry.com, the, the census papers are are uh, still there. So yeah. that was uh, illuminating because I know a lot of people who are from Detroit. Of course, we have majority of us have Southern roots, but some of us have Canadian roots because a lot of Black. We're right across the river from Windsor and there's a lot of uh, Black Canadians. My roots are, are um, Southern. And uh, so when I realized it was the Delta, I said, oh, that's why Detroiters are like we are. If <laughs> you know if you're not a Delta, we're like, we're direct descendants. <laughs> Love Detroit. It's, it's actually a very misunderstood city. It's one of the greatest art cities in, in the country. But I digress. But um, to just think about lineage and once you start to think about who was your mother's mother or your mother's mother, the hard part about Doing it through a maternal line is the last name change, you know, because when we yeah. get married, of course, and, you know, uh, and then my father's line was harder to get past his great grandparents, but we know that his dad was Gulagichi. But it is interesting when you can connect to, I can't necessarily yet connect to a uh, a mother country, even though like I said, I'm playing this here, but I can connect to the Mississippi Delta. I can connect to the South Carolina low country. And uh, somebody asked me, we had to do, you didn't know, have to introduce yourself. I was at a work function at a previous job. And somebody said, well, what's something interesting about you? I said, oh, I just recently did Ancestry.com and I was able to find my sixth grade grandmother. And they said, oh, where was she? And I was like, Mississippi. And they were like, oh, I am thinking, where did you expect her to be? <laughs> Where did she going be? She gonna be in Mississippi? She's not gonna be, you know. But I think the person was thinking I was gonna say, you know, some some uh you know beautiful location. Oh, she's in Nigeria. She's in she was in uh you know the Mississippi, Mississippi Delta. Okay, doing her thing and her thoughts says when she was free. But you know, it just is. And once you start to dig into genealogy, that in and of itself is an act of Afrofuturism, like Ron said, (laughs) because you are looking into your past and you wouldn't be who you were without these people. But there are all these nameless, faceless people who have gone through all these things and you have no idea. And then you can look into your, your own future and say, okay, well, I can do this and I can do that. And my ancestor did. We were able to read and write in the, you know, I don't know, the 18 or 1900s or something like that, which at that time would be, uh, you know, an act of revolution. So I just think that genealogy in and of itself is an important thing for any person of any culture to dive into. And I know we talked a little bit about last time with Charmaine and her, her background. She said, she was saying how it can be even more difficult to find uh, relatives and things as well.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think there's so much um, like reclamation and yes. mm-hmm. a reflection that I think is so important in Afrofuturism and like by extension with other cultures and the way that we talk about other ethnicities and races and the constructs of like this very white supremacist Western construct of how we discuss race and ethnicity and um I think that's such like an important tie-in to all of this too, like that connects so much, but I think that it is so important to have this point of like reclamation because I think so much of capitalism and patriarchy and our like structures, hegemonic structures today, want us to distance ourselves from that and disconnect Mm -hmm. ourselves from that. And so it's so important to almost like reclaim and and have this stake. And I love how all, all three of you have talked about this, like you know, kind of saying, no, I want to talk about this. Like I want to reflect back and it's going to be painful, but I want to, Mm to, to explore this. And I've had this conversation with a lot of, um, I don't want to get too off topic, but I've had this conversation with a lot of people from like immigrant diasporic backgrounds. A lot of my own work is in like diasporic culture studies and things like that. And Mm -hmm. so many people are like, Oh, well, yeah. I mean, like we're not connected. And and it's like, for me, Mm -hmm. I'm a child of immigrants. My parents immigrated here. I was born in this country. My parents immigrated here. Mm -hmm. And I've had so many people even who were born in other cultures who are like, well, it's, I mean, it's whatever. Like I don't live there anymore. And I'm like, you have ancestors that are from there. Your parents still speak the language. You still speak the language, okay, maybe not as much, but like to me it's so it's unfathomable to disconnect myself from my heritage and I I always love hearing about other people's stories because I love hearing about that cultural heritage and that makeup, whatever it may be, even if it is just, I shouldn't say just, even if it is one or two generations are looking back or saying like, I love Dr. Brown," how you're like, I'm self-proclaiming myself as a serial mm-hmm. Leonian. I think that's beautiful because it's like, I think there's so much value and there's so much importance in staking our claim and reclaiming our lineages. However we choose to do that.
2: And I think there's this, uh, there's this theory that, um, but especially within uh, ethnic studies that the third generation is always the generation that looks back um, mm. within, particularly like within immigrant you know, communities that it's always the third generation that's like, hey, where did we come from? What did, what was our language? And so when I think about um, the distinctions between myself and like my mom's generation and like my grandparents, you know, just the the differences in how they address history, you know, either, like, they weren't necessarily connected to it, or, you know, it was so bad, they don't want to (laughs) remember, you know, and so it also is that sense of, like, as someone born in the 80s, you know, um, that there was this you know and in the 80s was such a moment of uh, of identity right so you know we think about postmodernism and like this, uh, Reaganomics. just uh economics yeah just everything like in terms of like identity politics was like in, a, in the 80s right so war on um, drugs yeah right so i feel the like i feel like it's not that surprising to me now in retrospect to feel as though um, they're like oh that's why like I am like who I am I'm interested I've always been interested in my family history Um, and you know it's always been surprising to me Um, you know people that are had opportunities to like talk to like my great great grandparents and it's like didn't even like write anything down (laughs) you know you're just like that would have been a perfect opportunity um but i digress um but but i'm thankful that for for me and myself like that's who i am you know i was just looking at the other day um uh what's the name of that school um s s s s -S u like uh stephen f austin Hmm. they have uh an amazing um, archive on Texas slavery mm-hmm. called the Texas Slavery Project, and it was the most uh, profound thing that happened because I've like done all this family history research, and I have some ancestors that are based in Nacogdoches, uh, which is where that university is, and so I was like, oh, you know what? I'm just gonna, you know, plug in my ancestor's name. And their database, and lo and behold, they were there. And I just, I just had like a whole shell shock moment of like, oh my god, you know, like that's them, you know. Um, and it was just like that moment of like I felt felt like it was like a moment of truth kind of moment, like like this is who you are. <laughs>
3: They did that on Watchmen. <laughs> Remember on Watchmen when 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 they had the Greenwood Reclamation Center uh-huh. and, sh- and all you had to do was like put your neck, put your hand on, yes. this and then it showed who your ancestors were. Yes. So I mean that was too a whole
2: out of body moment
3: for me. I was like, whoa,
2: like oh my god, like it was. It's one thing to know their name; it was another thing to like see their name written down as like this was a person.
1: Mm-hmm. They
2: were alive. They were breathing like this is documentation improved you know like it just it, it rang so much different to me yeah. at that point
3: mm-hmm. and
2: i i feel like i haven't really been the same since because it's like now i'm like want to know everything about this person and like what their experience was but i think again that's why i, I agree with dr brown <laughs> that <laughs> genealogy is all all wrapped up in afrofuturism because like that I mean I am a result of that like I feel like I'm walking out that reality you know just being here um and seeing I'm like in the future looking back it's like a it's a whole kindred moment Mm -hmm. (laughs) like I had like seriously I had a whole kindred moment of like oh my god that's my ancestor right there Mm -hmm. you know um so I just feel like it just it's it's so rich and beautiful like when we're able to like know our history know who we are um i'm doing some work with an artist named vicky meek and like her her whole practice is all about you know recognizing who we are culturally um and like it's all tied into like african spirituality and looking at the ancestors as as sort of like an answer to the social ills in our world and um, I I curated her retrospective in Houston, Houston H town again.
1: H-town? Whoop, here we go again, y'all. <laughs> uh, back in
2: 2019, and I remember feeling then because Harriet Tubman came out, the movie came out, and I remember just like I was just all into that then. And ironically, Vicky had had some works on Harriet Tubman. She's like, she looked. At a lot of like important Black women figures throughout history that were you know fought for our freedom, um, but when the pandemic happened and when um, George Floyd happened, I remember calling Whitney and saying like, "Oh my God, like, like your work is so relevant right now." Like, <laughs> just the the need for that kind of cultural knowledge, the need for an awareness of our ancestors that they too struggled in as Dr. Brown said like struggled in ways that I can't even imagine it 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 was really helpful and that's that's the whole that's like uh, Vicky's like whole point of her work is to say like when you're struggling when you, when you feel like you can't make it remember your ancestors they they went hard you
3: know yes. what I'm saying yes and,
0: there's, a,
3: there's, um, a, there's a story in Black pain. Because when I think about my mom's grandfather, he left Mississippi in like the 30s and he never went back. And we never had a connection to the South because he never wanted to go back. And my dad, we never went to South Carolina. He did, his parents didn't want to go back. So we had no connection to the South. And then as an adult, I decided to move to Texas. And now I'm kind of re, now I'm a neo Southern girl. That's how I call myself, you know? (laughs) So I'm kind of reconnecting to the South, but there's a lot of pain. And people who migrated north in the Great Migration, Sun, they never told the stories, they never wrote it down, and they just they just locked it away and they just tried to forget about it. They never passed it down, and they they never went back. And I, there's some tragedy in that because as a you know I missed out on some things, but I understand you know. So mm-hmm. like you said, now I think about it, I'm the third. I would be the third. So now as the third, I'm like okay, now I want to know you know, mm-hmm. so, and even, even if though I'm not a, an immigrant in the, that way, I could be right. an immigrant in that they migrated from the South to the North looking for factory right. jobs, which is what was happening yeah. Detroit I mean, in Detroit in the That's a form of
0: immigration. Yes.
3: Yes. yes, because everybody was coming to Detroit, Chicago for the factory jobs, you know, mm-hmm. uh, the Ford price or da-da-da-da-da, and, we, and that, that was the Black middle-class started in Detroit, everybody was owning homes and things like that. And then I was the second, third generation of the black middle-class. So because of their choice to not be sharecroppers anymore. So I think Mm. that that, there is some, even though there's a lot of pain in black history, we can't forget that because that's a part of the story, but there's joy out of it because they survived (laughs) you know they still had children they still got married they still had weddings and celebrations and they still lived their lives like regular people even within this confines of white supremacy so there's still joy it's a revolutionary act to still be joyful in the midst of being subjugated
2: that reminds me of um Juneteenth yes which Uh, by uh, the way you guys want what she did holiday um and I did a I did an exhibition in partnership with the NASHER recently um, and an organization called Fort and Cliff. And the whole, that whole project was all about like these amazing um, young guys in, in, Fort, in, Fort, in Oak Cliff, sorry, um, started this organization to dismantle um, racism and poverty within Oak Cliff. And basically started this amazing organization um, out of like the office, like a one room office building. Acquired a commercial building, and then now they um, they just purchased a ten acre property that used this a historic YMCA in Oak Cliff. That by the way was a YMCA that was built specifically for the Black community in Oak Cliff. So they were able to acquire that building, that property in, the, in those 10 acres. And so for their grand opening, they wanted um, me to do a work that was connected to, um, they were doing the, their grand opening on Juneteenth. And so I was like, well, I've been doing this whole research about Juneteenth oh, for the past couple of years. So like, let's do it. <laughs> let's, let's do this research on Juneteenth at the, gro- at the grand opening. And it just, it was just such an amazing, like, experience, um, you know, to see them, like, acquire this amazing property, the grand, grand opening they did, uh, the event was, like, family reunion style. So everything was just so beautiful, so, like, community focused. Um, and it was all celebrate celebratory of Black Texas. And one of the one of the works that I made was a black, what I call a black Texas flag, and um, because it's like the African-American flag, but I made like a black Texas uh, version of that, and it was all about like celebrating black identity, like our black identity as Texans, because sometimes like it can be a little contentious, like when you leave Texas and you're a black person, like I lived in, in Europe for a couple years and went Like, no one would ever, like, look at me and say, oh, you're from Texas. Like, no one does that. (laughs) Um, But, you know, when you hear me talk, they're like, you sound like like Beyonce. Like, first of all, Beyonce does not own the Texas accent. But I I hear what you're saying. (laughs) We both from
1: Houston. (laughs) I hear what you're saying. (laughs) I feel that get one more sound like Beyonce or... where are you from you have so you sound like e- Be-
2: you got accent. a Beyonce accent no uh-uh
1: it's not a Beyonce accent it's a Houston Texas accent <laughs> thank you <laughs> we love Beyonce we we love I her. love her love her. love her love, but it's love Houston me. it's right Houston, right, right?
2: <laughs> but uh but that that reality of me like being originally from Texas and living in another country, like, made me love Texas more. And in a, in a weird way, because Texas hasn't always been great to me, but, you know, that's a whole nother conversation. Um, But, like, just kind of reclaiming a Black identity as a Texan and being finding a way to be proud of that, because, you know, the racial history here is very contentious. It's not, it is very complicated, you know? And so, uh, it was amazing to like hang the black Texas flag and everybody like everybody just stood by it. It was like it was just it was a magical thing, you know, just to see people identify and say like I get that. like I understand like what it means to be um, from Texas and black and to know how complicated that is. um and but yet to find a way to be proud of it. <laughs> so um. And with Juneteenth in particular, you know, it made it made it all, like, worthwhile. Like, I don't know, this was, like, the best Juneteenth celebration I, I've ever had, like, in a long time. And, you know, I grew up in Texas um, celebrating Juneteenth. But for whatever reason this year, I don't know if it was because the, I don't think it was just because of the federal holiday. But I just felt like after, like, being, like, in isolation for a whole year. And then just being amongst my people on Juneteenth, it just, it would just looked I was like, I love this.
1: <laughs> I love all of this. I love my people. <laughs> yeah. I have very, um, and this could be a whole rant. This could be a whole episode episode Juneteenth. I have very conflicting <laughs> um, feelings when it comes to Juneteenth. And I could have a yeah. whole rant, but I'm not going to go into it. I have, I have especially in... The commodification of the holiday and all these people at the pool and they don't even know what it's about people um who are not um black <laughs> don't know what yeah, it's about but they just go. got the day off but I I echo what you said Dr. Cross because this Juneteenth was and I mean I've celebrated Juneteenth all my life I remember wearing red drinking red juice, don't know what flavor it was, it was red, eating red watermelon, yeah. I remember doing all of those things, you know, barbecue at my grandmother's house, celebrated it every year, honestly, I thought it was a holiday that everybody knew about until I met other people, and I was like, you don't know what June, you know, we got the, the holiday in June, you know, you don't know what Juneteenth is, Um, but this year being in Houston, I was at um, Emancipation Park, and it was just mm. so, like and, and you know they have it all the time but I feel like this year it was it was it like different. times 10 and it hit different and I'm seeing all of my people out walking downtown walking around third ward and I'm just like wow I love y'all I ate at a black vegan restaurant I was like oh look at us out here being black vegans look at us <laughs> cooking up <laughs> boudin balls in vegan format give it to me I love it um but I definitely feel like it hit different. And I think, I think you're you're right. I think collectively being in isolation, going through everything we went through last year, being through so much trauma that this celebration really echoed um the, the, the need for you know black community, black celebration, black black joy, yeah. you know, during times <clears throat> of such strife. The the history of black joy, I think is so important and how, you know even as enslaved peoples, even as peoples going through Jim Crow segregation, our people have a history of still finding some way. I don't know how they was doing it out there because I yes. can barely do it now yes. to have joy. And I feel like mm. that that is so, such a powerful sentiment to feel um, as someone being the descendants of, um, of, of, of people that were able to have joy during such hard times. Um, yeah. hmm yeah. I think
3: that it, the only, because I, I knew which, I'm not, you know, I said I wasn't from Texas, but I knew what Juneteenth was. And I grew up in mostly Black spaces where we celebrated sort of these, you know, Black milestones. But I think for me, the issue, the only issue I had with making it a holiday was the timing, because at the same mm. time, they passed House Bill, what is it, 3979 two days before. So it just seemed like an oxymoron because how are you gonna teach what Juneteenth is if you can't talk about race in schools? So that was to me, like, it just felt like placating. And I think that's what bothered me. You know, it was sort of like, why not make Malcolm X's birthday? How about that be a holiday? (laughs) Okay, so Mm. that's where I was. That's how I was feeling (laughs) about it. (laughs) So I just, I I, I understood, you know, what what it, I even reeducated myself because I think what I learned that it was, I always learned that it was the people in Galveston, it was two years later that they were free. But then when, once you relearn it, it was really like nobody was free until two years later, you know, because it was the mm-hmm. Emancipation Proclamation. I always thought it was signed in 1865, let me get my history together, but it was signed in 1863. And then we weren't, nobody was freed until 1865 and Galveston mm-hmm. were freed, I think two months later. So even the way I learned it wasn't right. So mm-hmm. it gave me a chance to kind of re-educate myself. But I just thought that the way it came about, I just thought that was it because the George Ford policing bill hasn't been passed. You know, right. it, this I think an anti-lynching bill that still hasn't been passed. You know, like even yeah. uh, the state of Mississippi it didn't ratify the 13th Amendment until 2013. So it's like, but y'all gonna, y'all gonna play KS with Juneteenth. That's why I was kind of like, oh, okay. Okay. what we
1: asked for what we got
3: nobody asked right. you we were celebrating anyway but we were celebrating anyway we didn't need we was gonna take off anyway <laughs> We, we gonna ain't gonna need no- that's how i felt but i understood because i know my sister lauren was out there doing her thing so i said mm-hmm. i understand that it's important mm-hmm. i just yeah. thought the timing is what, yeah. what bothered me that's what I, mm-hmm. I celebrating it is important but the timing. and yeah.
2: we and we had a we had a whole conversation on Juneteenth the day before Juneteenth where we talked about all of that you know the just the the nuances of how you know the whole anti-critical race theory conversation and how all that's you know blown up and just like the need for better education racial education in general like it just it it's, it's definitely disturbing, you know? So yes, I, I agree that there there are some nuances about it that are like, yes, glad that we have, you know, glad that everybody's gonna celebrate, um, but let's act right about this because um, please, like, it, and I was telling them that, you know, this whole notion of like, you know, the miseducation of critical race theory, you know, Um, I was like, yes, you have to understand that if you're if you're going to critique critical race theory, you have to understand what you're applying. Yes. You know, critical race theory was birthed from legal scholarship. It was birthed to challenge, you know, law and policy that basically, you know, was supporting institutionalized racism. So, you know, critical race theory was built to challenge all of that. So if you, if you turn around and say, no, critical race theory is like, I'm looking at you side-eyed, like, oh, so you're saying that you support institutionalized racism then.
0: Okay. Um, that narrative becomes like that, that narrative focuses on that one thing. And like, it's people often don't know what they're talking about. Exactly.
2: And, you know, we've been, I mean, in the academy, we've been talking about critical race theory for like how long, you know, since the beginning. So we're talking about the miseducation of how that information gets translated out into the public. Um and you know how it's twisted, you know, into yes. this like, well, if I feel I now feel uncomfortable, uncomfortable about, you know, my whiteness. Now I, I don't want, I don't want that. Right. And so it's just like, no, like we need to deal with that. We need to talk about that. Like actually critical race theory helps us to talk about exactly that too it's not just for people of color it's for everybody to talk about yeah so it's 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 a, it's a whole twisted thing and so we, we talked all about that on in the conversation on Juneteenth as well mm-hmm. but you know we were like you know in a way it's like Juneteenth gives us the opportunity to really kind of dig into that and say okay yes we're not gonna we're not gonna just accept the federal holiday and say that that we're good it's like okay cool now on to the next agenda yeah on juneteenth yes exactly. we're about to talk about you know education reform you know like so um and i love how a lot of people are taking it as an opportunity to kind of like challenge things on juneteenth um the other thing that came up was just this notion of that there isn't really a day in which we celebrate emancipation, like period, for all Black people. True. And so, even though Juneteenth is about Texas, you know, the last the last two hundred and fifty thousand slaves, by the way, in Texas, um, it is sort of like one of those things where it's like, well, if we if, if we all aren't free you know, like, we are free, right, so, um, there's something to, there's something to be said about, like, okay, that was the moment, right, in which at least it was established, that like, ain't nobody should be holding nobody back at this point. Now, there was a whole twisted way in which, like, the general order does, like, say, like, stay in your place, don't, you know, work for free if you have to, and all this kind of stuff, but, so it's complicated, but that's just, that's just our history, so,
3: yeah, they don't know
2: how to do nothing about that part, you know, it's, we have to deal with the, the good, the bad, and, yes. and everything, you know,
0: but, the but way... um,
2: the oh, go yeah. ahead, sorry, Dr. Cross. You no, like, off. I just think that, I I thought that was a powerful statement, that, like, there isn't a day in which we as Black people celebrate, um, or I don't know what celebrate is really the right word, but, the, acknowledge like our emancipation emancipation as a, as a people and so like I appreciated that conversation they're like well yeah that's true like there is no other time in which true. we recognize that we we were made free you know and do do something to like celebrate that so
0: I was just gonna say I think it's so important to sit with the uncomfortability yes. like, to sit with especially with like the privileged, elements of, okay, I'm being very PC in the way that I'm saying this, although so I'm, I'm not a huge fan of the word PC, but I'm, I, like for, for white people, especially in this country to sit with that, with that privilege and to confront that. And I think in many ways, like that's what critical race theory does. And it, it's so uncomfortable that also part of like what you said, Dr. Cross, like it's, it's people don't know enough about it and they just hear little sound bites and then they take that and they run with it and you can't do that. But I think this all, all very connects to like how much the, there's this like importance in this, I can't think of the exact word, but there's like a need to continue the work that, Mm. you know, there's always like going, there's going to be little things or like what people may consider milestones. They're like little paths along the way. And that the, the path to equity and justice is there's much more. So there's, we need to continue to do that work within our communities, um, I mean, I'm going to generalize just for a quick second for myself, like as somebody who is not African-American, as somebody who is not a part of the black community, it is like very important for me to confront anti-blackness in my community, for me to be a part of like, to be an ally and to see my position as a woman of color, um, as somebody who's also within a marginalized space, but to what we can do for each other. Right. And so like, it's like, we have to work together to create collective change and I get on my soapbox about like being involved in the political process a lot, but just, I have to say it again. Like I, I, I love, and I appreciate, and thank you for sharing your work on, on Juneteenth. And I think that's so important. And it tells us how much we need to continue that work, how we need to be like, mm-hmm. here's what Juneteenth is. We need to educate people. Um, I grew up not in the South, not in, and I, I very fortunate. I grew up in very diverse spaces. Um, and as a woman of color, I grew up in, in spaces with a lot of people of color and other marginalized communities, but I had learned about Juneteenth but very similar to the way that you said it Dr. Brown. And so I think it's it's very interesting how like how much of course we know like the history gets whitewashed and there's like a mainstream narrative but it it's just more and more pertinent for us especially if we are within marginalized spaces and we are part of marginalized communities and disenfranchised communities to continue to be a part of the work to like engage ourselves in the political processes and community activism in whichever way we can to be a part of that change. So I'm sorry, I'm off my soapbox now, but I just, I'm like, it's, the work is not over. We have to keep, we have to keep going. We have to keep striving and being a part of that is is participating in that political action, taking part of that. Yeah,
1: thank you so much for everything. Wow, this has been an amazing episode. Hello, everyone, if you are still with (laughs) us. (laughs) Um, I think we could have even a separate conversation about, just the the importance of gene genealogy and understanding your own inherent trauma and how that connects to your experience that you're going through, because it doesn't just generational trauma doesn't just disappear. It's in our blood. It's who we are. Yes. Um, so stay tuned for that conversation, everyone. But thank you so much, um, Dr. Cross and Dr. Brown um, for coming and and just while wow, sharing your knowledge, I'm so filled. I feel like, yes, um, thank yes. you. And thank you of- for sharing your light. Yes. Thank Filling you. Filling us with
0: your light. Yes.
1: yes. Um, and of course we will link to the wonderful, amazing work of both Dr. Cross and Dr. Brown on our resources page and any of the books that we've talked about, anything that we talked about, we will include that on that page. Um, but yes, thank you so much for coming on and t- having this insightful conversation with us um like we said stay tuned because we got a lot to say y'all if you want to listen we got a lot to say my my text and just came out there um but yes please stay tuned um and thank you so much again and as always we will talk to y'all next time um so yeah stay safe everyone stay safe
0: and stay connected and you know where to find us bye bye Thanks for listening. We appreciate your support. You can continue to show your support by giving the podcast five stars and by following us on our website, graymatterstheblog.com. That's gray with an A and on Instagram, as well as sharing and commenting on our posts on at graymatterstheblog. We want to connect with our Gray Matters community.
1: That's you, our listeners. So if you have a comment or inquiry about customizable trainings and workshops, email us at blog at gmail.com. Stay safe, everyone, and we will chat with you next week.